we have been in this series, The Art of Neighboring, over the past couple of weeks, and we've joined with over 100 churches around the city of Charlotte. Roughly about 50,000 other Christians, followers of Jesus, are doing the same series because we believe that when we're all studying the same scriptures together and doing some of the same applications, that God's going to do something awesome for our city. Uh, the, the main scripture that kind of anchors this series is what's called the Great Commandment. Uh, where Jesus talks about there's 613 commands in the Old Testament that God gave to, to Moses. Uh, and Jesus says that he can summarize those in, in the top two. And he says the great commandment is to love God with all that we have, all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then a second is like it, to love our neighbors as ourselves. So as Christ came to give us life to the full, one of the ways that we can engage life to the full is loving God and loving our neighbors as ourselves. Now, Jesus defines a neighbor as anyone that we come across that has a need. We're called to meet that. And so neighbor is kind of a, a loose kind of translation. Uh, and over the last couple of weeks, we've been challenging ourselves, the 50,000 people who are hearing the same sort of message across Charlotte, uh, for this three-week period to kind of to take the great commandment literally. What if we were to love our neighbors who live next door to us, who live across the street from us, who live in our apartment building? What if we were to love them as we love ourselves, just as Jesus has commanded? And so we started out a couple of weeks ago asking you to find out the names of the people who live in the eight households closest to you, whether that's on your block or on your street or in the apartment building. To write those names down, uh, we've got these really cool magnets out in the lobby. You can pick one of those up if you don't have it. Write the names down, put it on your fridge, uh, and pray for your neighbors by name. Before we can begin to get to know people, we need to know their names. And, and so this is a way for us to, to start, if we don't already know our neighbors, know their names, find out where they live, and begin to pray for them. Last week, we talked about a barrier that kind of gets between us in establishing relationship with our neighbors, and that's the barrier of time. We're all very busy people. We'd like to get to know our neighbors, but sometimes we just don't have time. We don't have time to get to spend with our own families, with our already established friends, so with our church family. And so how can we begin to, to make time for our neighbors? And so last week, uh, challenged all of you and the other 50,000 people have been challenged by their pastors uh, to spend one hour this past week out of 168 hours, take one hour, spend it out on your front lawn, out in the common area of your apartment building, uh, and try to engage with your neighbors and see what happened. And I've heard some really cool stories. We've had people who've been able to buy their neighbors a cup of coffee. We've had some neighbors who've done some babysitting. Uh, I had a young family come to me after worship from the first service today, and uh, they had a, you know, an older elementary age child who said, you know, Pastor Kyle, we went out for an hour and we carved pumpkins in our front yard and we met a new neighbor. And so, you know, great job, everybody. Let's continue to, to think about how we can communicate and, and reach out to our neighbors. So today we're wrapping it up and we're also going to talk again about another potential barrier that gets between us and our literal neighbors, and that's the barrier of fear. Sometimes we might be scared to establish relationships with our neighbors because, quite frankly, we can get burned uh, in that process. We can get burned in relationships with other people. Relationships are messy, and they sometimes don't end very well. And so today we're going to kind of talk about what that looks like in our lives. And I'd like to start off by just sharing with you a saying that you've probably heard before. I just have to clean it up a little bit because we're in church today. If you want to know the real saying, I'll talk to you after church. Uh, but maybe you've heard this saying. Don't use the bathroom where you eat. <laughs> Don't use the bathroom 
where you eat. That's, that makes literal sense, doesn't it? That's just gross if you don't do that. I mean, it's just disgusting, right? But I think the, the intent behind this phrase is it's more about setting up boundaries, that we don't want to bring a, a lot of mess that we deal with out in our everyday world back home with us. That our homes are kind of like our sanctuaries. They're our refuge. And so if we got a bunch of junk going on at work, there's a lot of stress, there's a lot of conflict, there's just a lot of stuff. We want to leave that at work and we want to come home and we want to be safe. We want to have, find a refuge, a sanctuary. We want to have a distance from the mess in our life. Like don't bring the mess of your life home with you. Same thing at school, if you're going through some stressful times at school or, or whatever you do during the day, that when you come back home, you want to have this boundary, right? You want to kind of put up like this invisible wall that this is my safe place, this is my refuge, this is my sanctuary. I don't want that part of my life colliding with this part of my life. I want to, I want to have some boundaries and some distance. So don't go to the bathroom where you eat. It's kind of the, the phrase for that. Well, if you've ever seen the show Seinfeld, it's the long-running comedy they did an entire episode about this, and uh, Seinfeld is about a group of four friends, Jerry, George, Kramer, and Elaine. They're some very neurotic people. They're not very moral people. I don't hold them up as any kind of an example, uh, but they, they do work today. And so uh, George, uh, he likes to keep his worlds separate. So his basic world are his three friends. That's where he is safe and he can be who George is. He doesn't even want the people that he dates hanging out with his friends because he's afraid those worlds will collide and bad things will happen. And so, again, yet yeah, neurotic stuff, right? Usually the people that we care about, we want to introduce to the people that we care about, not George Costanza. So he keeps his dating life apart from his, his friends because really his friends are always going to be there for George. Uh, and, and that is an ongoing kind of eternal relationship. But the women that he dates come and go, and they usually break up with him after a short amount of time dating him. And so he, he can't trust these women in his life, and so he doesn't want to bring these worlds together. Well, George's worst nightmare is getting ready to happen as his worlds are getting ready to collide. His sanctuary, his safe place is being invaded, and it's actually kind of funny if you're not George. So check this out and see what happens. That's a great montage of clips that shows the pain of George's life when his two worlds collide and ultimately his ultimate fear is met. He ends up by himself all alone. So I wonder sometimes if we are afraid to establish relationships with our neighbors because we're afraid that our worlds might collide, that if we take the chance to get to know our neighbors, they get to know us, uh, and we're in a relationship for any length of time, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be good. We're going to have some good moments, but any relationship that lasts a long time is also going to have negative moments. And so we might have disagreements with our neighbors. We might have a falling out with our neighbors. And if something goes bad between us and our neighbors, then we can't move away without a lot of effort and pain. And so now our home, our sanctuary, our place where we come to be at ease and not have the stress of the world, now that's been sacrificed because we have a bad relationship with our neighbors. And so I wonder sometimes if we don't establish relationship with neighbors because we're afraid. We're afraid that our worlds will collide and then it will just blow up in our faces and it will be ugly. You ever heard the, the phrase that good fences make good neighbors? I think that's exactly what this phrase is all about. It's, it's easier 
just to kind of wave from a distance, you know, have kind of a casual relationship. You might know someone by name, might do a little bit of small talk when you go to pick up your garbage pail and roll it back down into your garage, right? But beyond that, we're not getting involved in a relationship because this could end badly and we don't want to be at odds with our neighbors because it's just going to make our lives miserable. We'll become prisoners in our own homes because we're afraid we might run into them if we go outside. Anybody here ever been on a homeowners association board? Um, God bless you if, you if you are. I think that's got to be one of the hardest volunteer positions that anybody could ever uh, aspire to. So homeowners associations uh, come together, people who live in a neighborhood, people who have those, they've signed off on certain covenants. You have to have certain rules that are met. And usually people on HOA boards, 99 out of 100 times when they're having a conversation with their neighbor, it's negative. Uh, they're saying, you know what, you're out of uh, code, you violated the code, you, you need to fix that. Or you missed your dues, you're behind in your dues, and we really need you to catch up on that. Or, or someone will call them up and say, my neighbor is out of code and you need to come make them do what they're supposed to do. Or, you know, I'm tired of the light being burned out on the corner. You know, it's been burned out for three hours. Why hasn't it been changed? Or, you know, the pool was closed today. Why is that? And so, you know, if you're an HOA person, you understand why fences make good neighbors because you're always having negative conversations. And yet we really need you to help the neighborhood follow the rules and, and stay a, a nice place. Uh, our neighborhood has an HOA and uh, I've seen how some of the, the HOA members have been treated. Uh, we have like a Facebook group for our, H, for our neighborhood. We have like the Nextdoor app and all that kind of thing. And some of the HOA people just take a beating or they just get bullied and take a beating on all this social media. Uh, the president, former president of our HOA, uh, he had to put it in his own pool in his backyard because he couldn't go to the neighborhood pool because he just got hammered all the time with people saying negative things or asking him questions. And so uh, that's a tough situation. But I don't think you have to be on the HOA board to, to, to experience the same kind of fear, right? And maybe it's not like a strong fear. Maybe it's just kind of an underlying unconscious kind of fear like, I got to keep the walls up. I got to keep the fences up. I've, I've got to keep a distance, right? Because if I mess up a relationship with my neighbors, then I'm doomed. And the one safe place in my life, right, where I can be free of stress from work and school and all that kind of stuff. And man, if I mess that up, I'm going to be in trouble. So I'm not going to risk a relationship with my neighbors. And yet Jesus comes along and says, if you would like to follow me, if you'd like to have life to the full, there are two things that you need to do. Love God with all that you have and love your neighbor as yourself, right? And we want to say to Jesus, wasn't the 11th commandment, right? Don't eat where you go to the bathroom, you know, right? But Jesus is like this meddling guy. And he's like, if you want life to the full, this is an important thing that you need to follow. And so on one hand, our gut is telling us, don't get involved with the neighbors. It could end badly. While our Lord is saying, get involved with your neighbors. I want worlds to collide. So what are we supposed to do, right? We're standing in this great amount of tension. You know, how are we supposed to do this? How are we supposed to, are we really supposed to be good neighbors and follow Jesus literally? What, what are we supposed to do? Well, I think today the best place for us to look for some hope and some guidance is in the Bible, in the Gospel of Luke in the New Testament. Let's look and see what kind of a neighbor Jesus was in his actions. Right? So we're going to be in the New Testament, the Gospel of Luke. A gospel is a book. It means the good news of Jesus, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so the guy who wrote it was named Luke. He was a first century uh, uh, disciple, followed Jesus. He was a, a physician, but he also a good writer. So he, he writes the story of Jesus. 
So it's early on in Jesus' ministry. He's calling his disciples to him. He's going to identify 12 disciples to kind of be his core group. And he's going to go around Israel doing all kinds of things with them. And he's calling them right now. And he's getting ready to call a disciple to come follow him, be one of his 12 inner circle, like his neighborhood, uh, traveling neighborhood. And Jesus makes a usual, an unusual choice. He picks someone that most other religious people would probably say, that's not a good idea, Jesus. And so let's see how Jesus takes a risk about being a neighbor uh, with someone that's probably kind of a risk to do that. So we'll pick up the story, Luke chapter 5, verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector by the name of Levi, also called Matthew, sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up and he left everything and he followed Jesus. Now, in the first century Israel, kind of like the 21st century America, uh, tax collectors are not the most popular people in society, right? The IRS people are probably not the most popular people in our society. But it was worse in the first century in Israel. For you see, Israel was ruled by a foreign nation. They were ruled by the Romans. And so the Romans uh, would have local people collect taxes for them. And so if you were a tax collector, uh, you were working for the evil empire that had taken over your country. And so your, your neighbors and the people that lived around you saw you as a traitor. What do you mean you're working for the Romans? They tax us very heavily. How could you work for them? You, you're a sellout. You've sold out for the, the enemy, the opposition. And so it's not just that they're having to pay taxes, which they don't want to do, but they're having to do so to one of their countrymen who's seen as a traitor or a sellout. And on top of that, a lot of the tax collectors were greedy and they would make up taxes that didn't go back to the Romans and they would pocket them for themselves. And so they were really detested. They were hated people. They were considered sinners, wrongdoers for many reasons. Again, they were traitors. They were sellouts. They were greedy. They were pocketing money that didn't belong to them. And so they were not popular. And Jesus, the son of God, goes up to one of them, Levi, and says, I want you to follow me and be one of my disciples, right? So that's a shocking choice that Jesus does that, that he initiates this. And then maybe even as shocking, Levi walks away from what he's doing and he follows Jesus. He's gonna walk away from being a tax collector. He's still not gonna be popular, but he's walking away from all that income that he's grown accustomed to. So a very shocking beginning to this story about being neighbors. Then Levi held a great banquet. He threw a party for Jesus. This guy has changed my life. I'm going to throw a party for him. He threw a party for him at his house. Who are tax collectors going to invite to the party? Nobody likes them but other tax collectors, right? And so a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. So Jesus is hanging out with all of the wrong people at this big banquet, this big party, and guess who gets wind of it? The local religious leaders that don't like Jesus to begin with, the Pharisees and some of those who follow them. So let's pick up the story. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belong to their sect complained to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Because right? in the first century in Israel, if you hung out with people who were doing the wrong thing, the message was that you accepted what they were doing. Right? And so if you're hanging out with tax collectors, it means that you approve of what they're doing. It's good that you work for Rome. It's good that you steal money from your own people. Right? Your presence with them says you accept their lifestyle, what they're doing. And so the Pharisees and the other religious leaders would avoid them. Right? I don't want to be seen with tax collectors because then people will think that I'm supporting them. I don't want my world to collide with their world. 
Right? But Jesus is a world colliding kind of guy. Jesus is a world colliding, uh, colliding God. And so this is what Jesus says to them. Jesus answered them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've come not to call the righteous, but to call sinners to repentance. Right? Jesus said, this is exactly where I need to be. They need me. They, they need someone to care for them. They, the religious establishment of the day is ignoring them. And guess what? God loves them just as much as he loves the religious people. And so there's a lot of stuff going on in this story. I think part of it is that Jesus came for everyone. He loves everyone, no matter who we are, what we've done, what our past is. Right? God loves all of us. Jesus came for everyone. And he makes that abundantly clear. Another thing that Jesus does is he takes initiative. Right? He goes out and he seeks out Levi and he says, I can show you a better way of life. Follow me. Right? So Jesus takes the initiative and Jesus demonstrates that he is a world collider. He wants the worlds to come together. He wants sacred and secular to come together. He wants tax collectors and religious to come together. Right? Jesus is all about getting people together, not keeping them apart. He's about tearing down fences, not putting them up. Right? Jesus is a world collider. He calls us to be world colliders in our own lives. So what Jesus is doing is he's calling us to get involved in the messiness of relationships. Jesus is calling us to get involved in the messiness of relationships, specifically with our neighbors. Because he knows, right? Relationships are good, they're great, but they're messy. And there's going to be some rocks and, and bumps in the road, and there's going to be some tough times. But for Jesus, the risk is absolutely worth it. Jesus is a world collider. He tears down fences rather than putting them up. And he calls us to be in relationship, to build relationships with the people in our lives, especially our neighbors, the people literally right around us. Well, so what? That was in the first century. So what? I'm not Jesus. So what's the point? What's the big idea? What does that mean for me in my life here in South Park in a movie theater today? You know, what, what, what's Jesus want us to know? This is what I think Jesus is, is calling us to do in this scripture. In order to take the great commandment seriously, love God, love our neighbors as ourselves, we must be willing to engage with those whom God has placed around us, right? If we're truly going to love our neighbors as ourselves, We've got to take a risk. We've got to get out there. We, we've got to engage with the people across the street, next door to us. We've got to engage in a relationship with them. Now, it's probably not best to go up to our new neighbors and say, how is it with your soul? Are you ready to repent of your sins, you sinners? Right? Probably not where Jesus wants us to start the conversation. Right? When Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, I think he literally means that, to build a relationship a genuine relationship, to, to become friends with our neighbors so that we can take them to coffee, so that we can babysit for them if they get in a jam. If they're stressed out and they want to talk to us about their day, we can be there to do that. We can carve pumpkins together. We can watch Panthers games together. We can help each other out with yard work if we're having a tough time, right? It's about establishing a genuine relationship with somebody because God loves them right, and wants us to be in a, in a relationship with them. Now, as followers of Jesus, as followers of Jesus Christ, you know, ultimately our hope is that God's going to use us to, to work with our newfound friends so that we can share the good news of Jesus with them at the, at the right time in the right way, right? Ultimately, God wants us to let people know that God loves them, 
that God has created our neighbors in God's image. And that's beautiful, that God has plans for their lives, that, that God sent his son Jesus to die on a cross and to come back to life so that our neighbors can live life to the full now on the earth and live forever in the kingdom of God, right? Ultimately, God wants us to connect people to God, right? Whether or not they come to South Park Church, right? That, that's not the main goal. If they came to our church, that would be great. We would welcome them. We would warmly welcome them. But the, the ultimate goal is that they establish a relationship with Jesus Christ. Like Alexandra, right? He said, I love Jesus. I want people to know about Jesus. Someone introduced her to Christ. And so that's our ultimate goal is neighbors, but not in a manipulative way, not in a secretive way, not in a, hey, we want you to come to our church so you give money to us. That's not it at all, right? God wants us, first of all, to love our neighbors, to meet their needs, to be in relationships, and ultimately, when the time is right, in our own way, to talk to people about God, right? So that's what God calls us to do, is establish relationships with people who live around us to take the risk, right? So the application, right? We've had magnets that we filled out. We took an hour last week to hang out with our neighbors. So our application, this, this upcoming next application, we're going to give you three months to do it, right? Sometime in a three-month period, this is what we're asking you to do. Is host or be a part of a neighborhood gathering sometime in the next three months, right? So what we're asking you to do is be a party starter, right? Have a party or go to a party in your neighborhood. Have a block party, have some neighbors over, go to a party that your neighbors are throwing, right? And just be there and be nice to people, right? This, this could be the funnest thing I've ever asked you to do ever uh, in the history of church, right? Go and be a part of a party with your neighbors sometime in the next three months. Hey, Halloween's coming up. It'd be a great opportunity to, to have a party, go to a party, that kind of a thing. And so just be a party starter, just like Levi did, okay? So I've got the shirt on today, right? Party starter, it says Luke 5, 29 on the back. It has our church logo, right? So we have a limited number of these that we're gonna give away to you free right after the service. Just go out to the lobby. There's a table there. Take the shirt, be a party starter, right? Wear your shirt. Let people ask you, what's that shirt all about, right? Be a party starter. If you just wait to the end of service, that'd be great. So, uh, but, uh, right, get your free T-shirt, especially those of you who really want to take this seriously, right? It's a great opportunity just to have fun. Be like Jesus, be like Levi, Matthew, right? The, the whole thing. And just be a part of a social party and see what happens as we begin to let down our walls, take down the fences and engage our neighbors. Now, my wife, Laura, is great at this. She loves to throw a party. She loves to host a party. She's a great hostess. And so we've lived in our home for 15 years, and we're, we're so blessed to be able to do that. We're very grateful to be able to do that. And so we've had a chance to, to get to know a lot of our neighbors. And, and Laura, is uh, she's great at it. So we've had, you know, parties for our entire cul-de-sac. We live in a cul-de-sac at Easter. We have big Easter egg hunts. We invite all the kids, all the families to come and we have food and all that kind of stuff. So that's been parties. We, we have birthday parties for our boys and we invite all the kids and their families to come and be a part of our birthday parties. And and, and Laura's a world collider, so she'll invite our family to come. We'll invite friends that we have who live elsewhere in Charlotte. Uh, we'll have our neighbors. We have Jesus followers there. We have non-Jesus followers there. And we just mix it all up. And it's a lot of fun to see how people intermingle and all that kind of stuff. And there's moments that, that are they're tense or they don't go so well. And you're like, oh, I'm not sure if that was the best idea. But still, we found that it's worth the risk to be able to do this. Um, even if sometimes we get burned in the process. Uh, I shared with you last week that uh, about, gosh, it's been about eight years ago, uh, our neighbors right across the street, uh, husband and wife, they have a, a son about the same age as my oldest son, Luke, who they would have been around three 
right, about eight years ago. Uh, the, the father, the husband invited me over to do a blessing of his home. That led us to connect with another one of our neighbors who had been drinking and driving, was in a wreck, almost died, and he began to ask questions about God, right? I shared that last week. It's a really cool story. Well, to fast forward the story about four years, so it would have taken place in about 2015, about four years ago now. The boys are somewhere around the age of seven, and uh, my neighbor uh, across the street, uh, he developed cancer, and he died very shortly after he did that. So he leaves behind his wife, leaves behind his young son. We, of course, the whole neighborhood around are trying to support them with meals, you know, try to be there during the illness and be there during the funeral, be there afterwards, and just try to be good neighbors and try to love on them as best that we could. And Laura had a great idea, I think, that the Holy Spirit gave to her to, to throw a party uh, to celebrate our neighbor who had died, especially uh, for the young son to be able to connect and just feel the love of the others in the neighborhood. And so uh, we talked to his mom all about it, you know, ran every detail by her, and she was cool with that. So we had an ice cream party, we had cake. We had a bunch of families over from the neighborhood, a bunch of the kids that, that he played with. Our kids were there, all that kind of stuff. We had all this ice cream and cake. And, and then at the end, we had these helium balloons, uh, and we released those kind of to celebrate uh, our neighbor's life. And the little boy across the street wrote a letter to his dad, uh, and he tied it on the balloon, and he lifted it up to go up into heaven. And uh, it was symbolic, and, uh, you know, of course, heaven's not in the sky, but it, it helped him in a way, kind of just write some things to his dad. His mom was all for it. You know, it was, it, was, it was a great way for the neighborhood to come around and just support this family. So this was in roughly around June of 2015, uh, and we just all tried to continue to be good neighbors to them. Well, by December of 2015, the family across the street that we'd done this for, we'd been friends with them for over four years, uh, another family, husband, wife, and a, another boy about the same age who lived on a, on a neighboring street. Uh, long story short, six months later, the family across the street, the family down the street, uh, decided to stop speaking to Laura and me. Just decided to stop speaking to us. We had gone into kind of a rough, rough patch as neighbors. We, we had to talk about some boundary issues as far as time spent and not spent. We spoke some hard truth and love. We came out of a place of, of love and kindness, and, and they didn't receive it that way. And, uh, and we're obviously not totally uh, blameless in all this. It, it's a two-way street. But long story short, four, four and a half years of, of relationship, friendship, trying to be there when they needed us the most, and we, I think we were effectively there, Try to give their boys a, a good, safe place to come and play. They were always over with our kids, is now done. Like, and I'm talking like you walk on the street and you wave to say hello and it's a snub and, and not even a word, not even you know, acknowledging that we exist. Um, and we're not perfect. We weren't the perfect neighbors, but that really hurt. And so, you know, the question then becomes, are, are we going to keep investing in the lives of our neighbors? Are we going to keep hosting these kind of parties? Are we going to keep putting ourselves out there? Because that really hurt, right? That, that, and, and still don't speak to us. Still don't speak to us. The ones across the street eventually a couple of years moved away, but they go to the same school as we do. And so we see them sometimes at the school. The mom still totally snubs us. Now the, the boy talks to our kids when he can. Uh, he doesn't see them except for at school. Uh, and so it, it's, it's a difficult spot to be in. 
General Laura and I talked about it, and, and we wouldn't change anything about the relationship that we had with them. And we were grateful for the time that we had, and we hope that that little boy will remember us for four and a half years. And, and the other little boy remembers that he had a good time in our, in our yard, in our neighborhood. And, and a lot of the other people at the party, right, we're still friends with them and their kids. And so there's a lot of good stuff. And, and, and we've decided that it's worth the risk to keep being in relationship with our neighbors. Yes, we're going to get burned. Yes, it's going to hurt. Yes, it's going to, it's going to sting sometimes. But the good outweighs the bad. And Jesus is a world collider. And when worlds collide, sometimes sparks come off. But it's totally worth it because we've established some amazing relationships that, 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 that are maintained. And we think we honor God in that. And we've had God conversations with neighbors. And so as hard as it is to put ourselves out there, we're going to continue to do that. Just yesterday, uh, we had our boys, a couple of boys across the street who have come to the neighborhood since then. Luke had a friend over. Uh, They're outside playing football. They're outside playing soccer. It starts raining. They come in for hot chocolate. Uh, And one of the kids who came, who was outside playing with our boys, was the little boy down the street that's mother has not spoken to us uh, in four years. But he now is coming to play with our boys. She knows that he's coming to play with our boys. He's not allowed in our house. He's allowed in our yard, but not into our house. So he couldn't come in for hot chocolate. And so, again, we wrestled. Do we want to open this door up, right? Is this going to lead to some altercation? Is it going to go bad on us? But it's nice when we see him and we can call him by name and say, hey, we've missed you. It's good to see you hanging out again. And it's good to see the Holy Spirit working. And so even in that pain, God continues to bring good into our lives. So I think the question for all of us today is, who are our neighbors around us? Are we willing to get involved in a messy relationship? Are we going to play it safe and keep the fence up? Are we going to keep the walls up? Are we going to, are we going to risk it and, and know that we're going to get burned, know that we're going to get hurt, but also knowing that we're going to establish some really cool relationships and we might be able to be a difference maker in someone's life as the Holy Spirit works through us? Because I've got to believe that there's somebody on your block or on your street or in your apartment building, on your hallway, who needs a friend who needs a listening ear, who needs a handshake, who needs a hug, who, who, who needs to know that they are a son of God or a daughter of God. And, and, and you might be the only person who's willing to even consider allowing God to work through you in your life. And so I think Jesus is calling us to be world colliders, to take the risk, to let down the fence, to let down the guard, and to get involved in the messy relationship. And, and don't be worried about it, just to trust God in that. Who is the neighbor that God is calling you to begin establishing a relationship with. And if you don't know right now, be praying about that. But I'm guessing that some of us know that there's a name in our heart, there's a name in our mind, there's somebody that God's saying, I want you to take a risk because this person needs a friend. This person needs to know that they are a son or a daughter of Christ. So what? Right? If we're going to take the the great commandment seriously, we we need to make time in our lives to engage with our neighbors. So what do we want to do over the next three months? I would challenge you at some point, be a party starter, wear the t-shirt or not, be a party starter, right? Or go to a party and share the love of Christ with someone. Let's close together, if we can, by saying this uh, prayer aloud. God, show me what you are already doing in the lives of my neighbors. Give me the courage to enter into deeper relationships where there is opportunity. Amen. So we think about our neighbors. Be a party starter. Love to invite Cole and the band to come back up and 
But we're going to close with a song that talks about being sons and daughters of God. Uh, And it applies to us. But as we sing it today, I want you to think about who are our neighbors around us? Who are the sons and daughters of God who don't yet know that? And how can we be a part of loving them into the kingdom? Let us stand.